you probably uh, heard or perhaps you have read uh, more than once that uh, we've been here in Birmingham, we've been at the uh, cathedral uh, since the second week in August, primarily acclimating and observing, observing from every conceivable uh, level, I mean from the, uh, from the uh, day school uh, to the uh, uh, various uh, administration, uh, pockets of administration, uh, outreach, uh, pastoral care, uh, just observing, uh, and it, it's been busy, uh, very busy, but uh, it's, it's been what I've called the observe mode uh, up until now. But uh, to quote the author of Ecclesiastes, there's a, there's every, for everything there is a season, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, and now it's time to speak. And today uh, I will, uh, of course, uh, speak uh, to you here at this forum. I will not start preaching until uh, uh, next uh, Sunday. Today, as it has been suggested to me by the uh, search committee, uh, I am to tell my story. From the, from the uh, get-go, they said they, they thought that this would be a good idea for me to do that, and I think it would be a good idea uh, also so that actually all the cards are out on the table, so they say. I want you to know everything about me. At least, most everything about me. <laughs> oh, I doubt anyone here would like for you, for everybody to know everything uh, about you, the secret, even your spouse probably doesn't know everything, uh, your, your secret desires and thoughts. Perhaps I'm getting a little heavy. We'll, We'll uh, talk more about that in, in future dean classes. But I do want uh, at least for you to know enough about me so that I won't get too nervous when someone uh, tells me in the receiving line that uh, they met someone from my hometown. I used, to, I used to always get very nervous when someone would come up to me and say, hey, I met uh, someone from Orangeburg, South Carolina. They called you Frankie, and uh, they had a great talk, and, and I, uh, that would always make me very nervous. So uh, the more you know about me, I think it's fr from the beginning, it, it, well, actually, it would be very freeing uh, for me. But I want to preface uh, my remarks this morning by saying two things. First of all, the search committee, for those of you out there on the search committee, you've already heard my story. In fact, some of you have, have heard it twice. So if you, if those members of the search committee uh, who are here, you may be excused, if you like. <laughs> Three is too much. A second, for those who haven't heard this, just so you won't disappoint it, be disappointed. Let me say really quite honestly from the bottom of my heart to say there's really nothing uh, especially remarkable about my story. This is no road to Damascus uh, drama and not any greater. It's just a story of, of God opening the eyes of a blind man and it's not any greater uh, than, than your story, I'm sure. Uh, for anyone. It's always a miracle, I believe, when God opens the eyes of a blind man. But I have heard many of your testimonies, either on the website or, or in person, and they've been very powerful. In fact, in a lot of ways, I think a lay witness can be more powerful than from the clergy, because for those of us who have collars around our neck, you know we're supposed to be up here uh, talking about the gospel. And I think there's something very powerful uh, when a businessman or, or a businesswoman or, uh, from, from the lake can, 
can come up and, and, and tell their story, I find something very powerful. And I've, as I've heard those, those stories, uh, I've been very uh, touched by them. At any rate, I will tell my journey uh, as best I can. Uh, and if we have time at the end, I will open it up for any observations or, or questions or objections, whatever's on your heart. Where shall I begin? The white rabbits asked the king at the trial. Begin at the beginning, the king said, and go on to come to the end and then stop. My mother says I was born on the hottest day on record uh, in Orangeburg, Orangeburg County, South Carolina. It was 105 plus degrees and the humidity was, was uh, very, very high. That was July the 17th, 1943. Uh, so as we said in the skit, I was once in my mid-40s. <laughs> I've said from day one that except in this call, I, I surely must feel a lot like Abraham uh, must have felt uh, at his age when he was being called uh, by God. And you'll remember what happened to Sarah, which makes my wife a little nervous also. <laughs> Is Jane here? I don't know. If, is Jane here? Jane Limehouse is not here. Oh, she is. She's back there. And that's Frank, my son, next next to Jane, to to her left. Frank, just raise your hand. Proud of him. He's just started. He's a brand new professor at the University of Georgia. Just got to starting from teaching economics there. So uh, we're happy about that. So I was born July 17th, uh, 1943. My first recollection of childhood were actually Sunday school recollection as, as, as a little boy. My mother or my family uh, was somewhat uh, involved, at least my mother was. I, I don't ever remember my father going to Sunday school or, or to church with us. He was running the family business and Sundays were his day off and, and that was the time for him to play golf. So I, I never remember uh, my, my, my dad be, being involved, especially. But at least as a family, with a, with a younger brother, one brother and one sister, we were at least nominally a Christian. In fact, my mother uh, taught Sunday school uh, at one point in my childhood. But my recollections of Sunday school uh, were not happy recollections. All I could remember my Sunday school teacher talking about was uh, getting right with God, how to get right with God, uh, and learning to be more like Jesus, which is certainly good advice. Uh, but uh, this, these are the things that I remember telling me to be more like Jesus, uh, particularly by loving your enemies. Uh, and to, that to me meant uh, loving my sister, and I was not interested <laughs> in doing that. And I knew that I couldn't, but I will say, just as a little quick aside before going to the story, that anytime the gospel becomes good advice, and primarily how to get right w w with God by being more like Jesus, anytime that becomes a consistent theme, what happens is you'll either end up like a Pharisee uh, on one hand, or on the other hand, uh, you will want to get me out of here, which was more or less uh, the disposition that I took, get me out of here. In fact, I, I, I put, some, put up such a fuss about being dragged off to Sunday school that I won and my mother uh, uh, quit teaching. The only Christian foundation that was laid for me then when I was uh, a child during those years uh, were during the summer months when I would visit my grandmother in Campobello, South Carolina. If anyone here knows where Campobello, South Carolina is, I'd love for you to show me a hand because that's a, it's, it's, a, it's a really a beautiful spot. In fact, 
Spartanburg County used to grow, grow most peaches than the entire state of Georgia. Uh, of course, Georgia is now the peach state, but that's a, that's a different sermon. Nevertheless, my grandmother uh, had a peach orchard, and, uh, and I would, as a little boy, I'd go up there and, and uh, spend time with my grandmother. And as I matured, I actually picked peaches for my grandmother. But as a, as a child, I remember vividly uh, sitting on her lap on her back porch, screen back porch, overlooking one of the orchards there. And she had the most beautiful way of telling stories to her grandchildren. All the grandchildren thought that they were the favorite grandchild. That was the thing. And I was her favorite grandchild out of, out of uh, the five up six of us, however many there were. But she had a beautiful way of telling uh, the stories of Moses and telling the story of Joshua and, and Samson and Daniel. Our memory is just so clear uh, of Daniel and Jonah. Uh, and, uh, and, and we would pray uh, together there. But it, uh, as, as I grew uh, and matured, at least physically matured, uh, uh, through high school, I do remember developing a kind of theology that I would describe uh, as ag- agnosticism, uh, which simply means you don't know. Uh, uh, not denying the existence of God, but by saying, Maybe so, maybe not, but we don't know. Uh, certainly we don't know anything, if there is a God, we certainly don't know anything about that God. We never will, so what's all the fuss about? That was more or less the theology that had developed me through, uh, through high school. But, you know, there are all kinds of agnosticism, different kinds of agnosticism. And there is a kind of spiritual agnosticism, which, which by the way, I think pervades our church. I, and and I, I understand that. There's a lot of it who are willing to take uh, the idea that we don't know and never will know, but they are even willing to take that into church, a spiritual agnosticism, and worship what St. Paul might call the unknown God, which is a kind of uh, agnosticism. Nevertheless, uh, I, I, uh, I was, I was an agnostic, not a spiritual agnostic, but an agnostic as I worked my way uh, through, through high school. As I entered Walford College, I went to Walford College, where I was I majored in English, but the primary thing was, was golf. I played on the golf team uh, there, and my, that was my primary motivation for going uh, to Walford was to play on the golf team. Now, if you played golf with me uh, in the last five years or so, you, you wouldn't recognize me as being someone who was able to play college golf, but uh, the, those were the days, my friend, who thought they'd never end, and they do end. Uh, but through college, uh, I developed a, a philosophical side, if you would, uh, you know, as, as you, you've heard the sophomore syndrome where you smoke a pipe, and I really did. I started smoking a pipe in my sophomore year in college, and it became philosophical. And my theology of uh, agnosticism, and I have poetry, actually, that I still have today that I, I wrote when I was a sophomore in college. Well, I would make reference to God, but it was definitely an agnostic. I had an under, undergirded by agnosticism. My agnosticism in college was affirmed uh, as I took comparative religion courses, uh, and I was convinced that all religions, when you boil them down to their sheer essence, and you take it, if you really boil it down to the sheer essence, that all the world's great religions say basically uh, the same thing. They're all seeking the holy and basically all the same, say the same thing, uh, which uh, is not so. Uh, there's something that Christianity says that is radically different, radically different from anything that, it, that any other religion says, but these, these things we'll talk about in, in, in Dean's classes as, as we move along. Nevertheless, I was affirmed 
in my agnosticism. And let me pause here to say, as I tell you about my spiritual journey, that it was in college that I married a girl who was even more, perhaps, she was younger. I was going to say more immature, but that may not be. I was pretty bratty. But uh, she was uh, younger than I, a teenager. It was a marriage that did not last very long. Uh, the, the only good thing that came out of that marriage was uh, that we had uh, a, a daughter, uh, McLean, who is very dear to my heart and, rem- and remains very dear to my heart uh, to this very day. She'll be here on October, uh, if not before. She'll definitely be here when I service my institution, and perhaps you'll meet her then. But after our college, uh, after our college, uh, uh, and, and I went into the family business, which my grandfather had opened in 1922. You know, you hear horror stories about how when the son goes into a family business, the father keeps, his, keeps the chains pretty tight, and it was quite the opposite with me. When my father said, here are the keys, I'm going to play golf now, it's all yours. So uh, <clears throat> I learned pretty much uh, uh, that to run the business that way. But the most important things during my life uh, during these years uh, were, were business, uh, golf, uh, and if you know the song, cigarettes, whiskey, and wild, wild women. It was an old famous uh, country song, but that was pretty much the refrain of my life. Uh, and I, I, as, as I played more golf, this we're talking in, in, in my late 20s, I played a lot of golf uh, and also began to take up running. Uh, and uh, as I ran, I came into, into contact with more Christians who were running and also some, some golfers. Uh, who were who were dedicated Christians, and they would often reach out to me uh, and and talk to me, uh, but I resisted that fiercely resist, resisted that, and my agnosticism developed into another kind of agnosticism uh, that I would call a militant agnosticism. I mean, I was totally, completely turned off by Christianity and the what I would call the elite, exclusive claims of Christianity. You know. For me, you had your truth, I have my truth, he has his truth, and who am I to say that your truth is, 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 is true and, and my truth isn't? And you, you know the argument, uh, we hear it all the time, but I was totally uh, turned off, uh, particularly by, by Christianity, which seemed to make this exclusive claim that Jesus Christ was the way, the truth. One of the lowest days of my, as I look back on those years, uh, this is... Uh, I'm now in my mid-20s, <clears throat> early 20s, uh, excuse me, early 30s. Uh, about this time, I've already married Jane. Jane, I've been married 32 years. Thanks be to God. I'm married up, for sure. <clears throat> but one of my lowest uh, recollections of, of those years was uh, an evening, and I remember what she wore. That's how vivid <clears throat> it is. When <clears throat> McLean came up to me with some, uh, some uh, cuttings that she had come from Sunday school, you know, that she had that Sunday school teachers in class. And I looked at it, and I tried to talk her out of her Sunday school faith. And uh, that, as I look back, was something that really tugged at my heart. But uh, as the years unfolded, uh, uh, one, I'm sorry, I was not married at that point. I, I, the cro- uh, chronology uh, is a little twisted here, but uh, one uh, memorable day, uh, a woman uh, came into the store uh, and asked for a summer job. She was in college. Asked for a summer job. Uh, and now I'm I'm 28. Okay, uh, but I had already had that encounter with my daughter. 
I'm 28, and uh, it was Jane, and she applied for a job. She was at Winthrop College, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I gave her the job. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, two years later, uh, we, 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 we were uh, married. Our son was born uh, a few years later, two years later, after we were married, and my wife, Jane, became adamant about my son being baptized. Let me back up and say that one thing that concerned me about Jane was that she was a Christian. Uh, and, uh, but it, I, I figured I could convert her to a more a reasonable way of understanding and to, and, and, and to help her mature philosophically. Uh, and to be truthful, I did manage to pull her away from the church, and I did manage uh, to pull her away from Bible studies uh, and from openly praying with the family. Uh, and maybe on a big occasion, as on Thanksgiving or something, we would have a family prayer, but I will always defer to someone else. But I did manage to pull her away. Uh, then our son was, was born, and Jane became more adamant about having son Frank baptized, and I told her, you go ahead, just leave me out of it. You go ahead and, and, and take care of it. But uh, I, I was not interested in being a part of it. And so she scouted around for a church, and she came on the Episcopal church. She shopped around several churches in and around Orangeburg. And she loved the liturgy. She actually was going to an 8 o'clock service, a very quiet, formal service. Joined the church. It was confirmed there. Made an appointment with Dr. Bill Snow, is his name, uh, and asked him about the baptism. And he said, certainly, we, we, we're going to make this work. He said, by the way, <clears throat> I would love to play golf with your, with your husband sometimes. You know, maybe he can help me a little bit with my golf game, you know, if he's trying to be cute. And said, but I would love to play with him. He said, well, let's just make that his participation in this whole thing. So Jane came home and said, uh, everything's set. Dr. Snow wants to play golf with you. And I said, well, Jane, I'm just simply not interested because I know what he wants. And it was that, that this is another memorable day in my life where Jane, she actually broke down and began to weep. Uh, and she said, you know, so when I married you, you pulled me away from the church, pulled me away from the Bible, uh, and had nothing to do with it. And my son was born. I wanted him baptized. You said you would have nothing to do with that. <clears throat> and now I'm coming home, <clears throat> excuse me, just asking you to play golf with uh, the rector of the Episcopal Church. And you say you want to play golf with him. She said, quite frankly, I'm not sure that I'll be home tonight. Well, I dearly loved her. And I didn't want my, I didn't want this, I, I, did, I wasn't, I didn't want to jeopardize my marriage. So I said, okay, I'll play golf with him. <laughs> so we played golf, and if you know anything about golf, uh, we, we played golf, nothing was said, and I was, I was, uh, showing off my game to this guy, taking great pleasure and just uh, drilling him. So, uh, <laughs> so at the ninth hole, if you, if you know how it goes, uh, it's time to go to get a sandwich and a Coke and so forth as we got in the car and drove over to the, to the, uh, to the pro shop there to get, to get a Coke or a beer or whatever it was. He says to me, he says, hey, by the way, Frank, how about you? And I, I said to him, I said, here we go. I said, Bill, I said, please, just, just don't get started on that. I said, because... I even told him of my reluctance to play golf with him. And he looked up to me and he says, well, what is your problem, Frank? Is it Jesus' resurrection? Is that your problem? <laughs> well, at the first place, I was irritated at the accusation that I had a problem. 
And I said, no, I, 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 what I said, he just mumbled. <laughs> I said, no, I don't know what said. nothing's my problem. I just prefer not to even talk about it. So he said, fine. So we went on to play golf the rest of the day and never brought it back up. And I can only say, as I've shared this with the search committee, I'm not a mystic, uh, but that question possessed me. I was not able to shake the question. If you've ever had something in your mind that you can't shake, that was it. The only thing I can relate it to, it would be something like a song that you, that you picked up on the radio or something, and you keep singing it, and you tell yourself, don't quit singing a song, you know, or whistling. And I was just stuck with a question I couldn't say. What is your problem, Frank? Is it Jesus' resurrection from the dead? Or what is your problem, Frank? Is it the resurrection? Easter morning, exactly how you put it. I couldn't shake it. In the shower, I couldn't shake it. Uh, and uh, it became clear to me uh, that, of course, uh, it's, you know, sure, that's, that's the watershed. If, if, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, then the faith falls. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's right there in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, then we, are, we Christians are all, are most men to be fitted. If Christ has not been raised, the church is founded on a hope. If Christ has been, not been raised, and what am I doing in Birmingham? If Christ has not been raised, then, uh, you know, Jesus was a great man, a great teacher, um, um, perhaps the greatest of all time, but he's dead. That's all. And, and, and the story ends on Good Friday. But if Christ has been raised, then what? Something serious took place, very serious took place, which puts a whole new perspective on things. I, I saw that for the first time in my life. I saw that. Uh, and I, I made an appointment with Bill Snow, and I came back just three months later. And Dr. Snow has to tell me, I, you know, you, you asked me this question on the golf course uh, about what was my problem with Jesus resurrecting from the dead. And he says to me, he says, no, I, I don't remember asking you that question, but if I did, it was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, you did. You did ask me that question. And I said, I would like something to read. I said, but don't give me the Bible because I, I don't have any confidence in the Bible. Just give me anything uh, uh, outside of the Bible. And he said, gosh, well, you know, there's not much. He said, there's, there's a first century historian, uh, Josephus, and there's, he also uh, mentioned a Roman historian. I forget his name right now. I've got some stuff in my, in my office. Uh, and both of these his first century historians, who are certainly not Christian, refer to this small pocket of Judaism that were following the superstition that this obscure man from Nazareth, who had indeed been executed, uh, had, there was a small pocket of followers, a heretical pocket of Judaism, as Josephus kind of refers to it, uh, who were following the superstition that this same man rose from the dead. It became clear to me that even uh, secular or non-Christian, unbelieving historians recognized the history behind the life of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, and even that he died, and even that he died on a cross, and even that he died on Friday. Uh, the big issue of what history cannot uh, talk to us about is what happened three days later. But I became intrigued by the possibility, and I also began to study the first 50 years of Christianity from the, uh, the generation after the apostles through about the first 50 years of Christianity or the first 100 years of Christianity. And if you've ever, if you want something to give a boost to your faith, Go back in there and study the life of the martyrs. You know, if, if what they were doing was a result of a hoax 
or superstition. <laughs> I don't think so. It's, it's incredible. It, it, it's mind-boggling. Uh, the, 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 the earliest Christians were absolutely electrified, totally transformed by what they believed happened on Easter morning. This was the foundation of the church. It was the foundation of everything that they believed. Then, from there, from Easter, they would look back. Okay, now, what does that say to the cross? What does that say? Remember that time he was teaching and he said, I'm going to destroy this temple in three days, I'm going to raise it? You know, they began to see that through the lens of Easter, began to reflect back on his teachings and everything. At any rate, six months later, I was in New York City. I remember it well. It was on a Friday. I remember it well because it was snowing. And I wanted to get back to LaGuardia to take off. I was on a buying trip uh, in, in the Garment District, New York, and I wanted to, to, to get back to, to uh, fly back into Columbia before the snow uh, would trap me in for the weekend there in, in New York. And I was running down uh, Fifth Avenue on my way back to the Hotel Algonquin, if you've ever been there. I was uh, heading back to that. I went into uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral as I was hurrying back to the hotel. And I had often been in the cathedral there just to admire the architectural beauty of that place. But this time it was different. And I went in there, and I, I, this is Roman Catholic. I, I saw businessmen and businesswomen who would go down the aisle and during the busy day, they would just take a moment to go down the aisle, and they would cross themselves and go to the altar and pray just for a second on their knees, and then we'd get up and go out the side door and back, back on Fifth Avenue and on to their whatever they were doing. Again, I'm not a mystic, but I can only tell you that I felt myself lifted down the aisle. And went down before the cross, crossed myself, and did something that I had not done since I was a little boy in my grandmother's lap. And I prayed that God would just tell me the truth. That's all I wanted. I didn't know how to pray. I said, there's only one thing that I want to know, and that is what happened on Easter morning. True or not? Amen. <laughs> Crossed myself <laughs> and went out. I can't say that I had a road to Damascus thing there, but I can tell you it's kind of like falling in love. When I left there, I was in love. <laughs> and it was that feeling that I had that I knew that that prayer had been answered. And I got in a taxi cab, and I said, you know, after the hotel, I said, get me to LaGuardia as quick as you can. I was riding a taxi cab. And I said, my God, you know, I said, I think I'm a Christian. <laughs> so I, and I, uh, I went to the airport, and coming back on the airport, it was like, again, the only thing I can relate it to is like falling in love. I mean, I, it was remarkable. And I, I came home, and then the first thing I Jane, I said, Jane, I think I'm a Christian. And uh, I, 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 I joined... The church, I became extremely active. A year later, I was on the vestry. I joined the choir. I was a lay reader. I was a chalice bearer. I became absorbed with it. I, it, it, it so took over my life that I began to neglect my business. And I, w I, would, I would, doing, doing business hours, I would go back into the office reading, particularly the Reformation, the theology of the English reformers. Uh, uh, and, and anything, anything, and everything I could could get dealing with with uh, the Christian faith and, and particularly the theology of the English reformers. But I, to the point where a young man who had just come to work for us 
asked me to go to lunch with him, and he came. He talked to me. He said, "You know, when you recruited me into the business, you, you kind of we, we made a pact that we were going to really we we're going to go after the business in Columbia. We we're going to stretch out beyond beyond the limits of Orangeburg, and 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 really make this a special a special business." And he said, "You know, I, I, he said I, I admire what's going on in your life." He said, "But." But uh, you're kind of you're kind of pulling back from that commitment a little bit. I was neglecting it, no question. And it became clear to me that either I was called to a new vocation, or I needed to put things in perspective and get back on the floor and hustle. So there used to be an Episcopal monastery in South Carolina. There is no longer one there, but I went off on a weekend at the monastery and spent a long weekend with the monks. I came back. We had just built a Williamsburg house on the golf course. I mean, it was authentic all the way. When we went to Williamsburg with our paint swatches, and, we, and, and it was uh, the wainscoting and, the, and, and everything was right out of the heart of it. Was just, well, that was our dream home, and we were there for, for, for the rest of our lives. That was going to be it. And I came in uh, from that weekend at the monastery, and I said, Jane, I said, I think I've been called to go to seminary in my heart at any way. And I'll never forget, as the search community can tell you, I'll never forget her words to me were then was, my God. So all those years I was praying, but I never meant to pray so hard. <laughs> so we liquidated we liquidated the house, got all of our assets and going to Alexandria, Virginia, Washington was not cheap for three days. My father had retired by the time I had bought the business from him about ten years earlier. He was now seventy five ish. And uh, he, uh, he says to me, he said, well, son, I asked him about how it felt the end of three generations business. And he said, son, he said, you know, I never liked the business anyway. <laughs> but he says to me, we had a lease on a shopping center. And if you know about shopping center leases, and there's some lawyers there, you just don't walk out on those things. And uh, he said, well, he said, you know, I've never been a particular religious man, and, I, and I've, 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 I've not been much a spiritual leader in this family, but maybe this is the way I can be a part of this calling, I'll reactivate into the business and run the business until at least till the lease expires and then let's see what happens. And I said, well, praise God. So he did. He, he reactivated and, I, and we, we, we saw this thing, went, went to Virginia Seminary and, uh, and, and uh, I finished school up there. Uh, I have uh, I've served in churches in, in Alexandria, Virginia. I've served in churches in Charleston, South Carolina. I was the the rector of St. Bartholomew's in, in, in Hartsville, South Carolina, before becoming the rector of St. Helena's uh, in Buford in 1995. Uh, and, and in 2005, Jane and I had, had, had done a lot of talking, and we need to leave at Tinfield, did you say? So I'll wrap this up. Uh, we, we, we'd done a lot of planning, uh, and I had decided I would retire Advent 2007, which would be November uh, 2007. We have a little house up on Lake Hartwell. Uh, in Clemson, and we were going to go up there and uh, go to all the home games. I was going to take golf back up, and at least in my age bracket, become pretty good again. Uh, and we had it all planned out, uh, and things were going well at St. Helena's. It had been a wonderful 10 years, almost 11 years for me. Uh, and then another a memorable day is, is one afternoon. I remember right what I was doing. I had, in fact, I had one foot, one shoe off, I remember, up on my desk with the other shoe down, uh, uh, talking. I, I'll tell you that because there's a, there's a just the end to that story, where I couldn't find my shoe when I was done talking. And uh, but uh, it was a telephone call from uh, Fran Cade, whom I'd never met. Didn't know she's from the Cathedral Church of Advent 
I want to know if I'd be interested in entering into dialogue of coming to the next uh, dean here. Uh, I had known Paul and, and known exactly what all was going on here, and I said, you know, uh, I'm really honored that you would e even call. I said, but quite frankly, uh, I'm, I'm going to be retiring in two years. You need a younger man. But let me give you some, so let me give you some ideas. Let me, let me talk to you about some people that, that may make a great dean, and from my perspective anyway. She said, fine, I understand. I need to go ahead and make, bring this a couple of days, leave out some stuff that's not, not too important. But nevertheless, a week later, talking to Bishop Edward Salmon, uh, and Bishop, I uh, telling the bishop about the call, and Bishop looks at me and says, Frank, Limehouse, I've known you a long time. He said, you're kidding yourself. He said, you think you want to retire. You don't want to retire. He said, what you need is a new horizon. And as, again, I'm not a mystic, but as, as Ed Salmon continued to speak, his lips were moving, and it was Ed Salmon's voice, but it wasn't Ed Salmon talking. It was God talking. And as he spoke, I could just feel the adrenaline going back into my veins. Uh, and I, I said, well, he said, let, 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 me, let me make a call or two. Uh, at, at any rate, uh, I, I ended back into dialogue Seven of the search members of the search committee came to Beaufort for several days, uh, heard me preach, and, and then uh, they, they invited me back to Birmingham here to meet everybody else, and, and I, I met them. And, you know, the rest is history. If someone had, would have told me as, as early as mid-April that I'd be standing here in Birmingham before you today, I would say that you were crazy. But... Uh, as you say, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans for your life. Uh, but I am now only trusting, I'm only trusting that, uh, that as your dean, uh, that, that uh, uh, God's grace will be made perfect in weakness. You'll hear me say that a lot, uh, but that is my hope, as your dean, is that St. Paul was right when he said that my grace is sufficient for you, but God's power is made perfect in weakness. And I think of people like Jeremiah, you know, when God called Jeremiah, the first of Jeremiah, it's a great read. And when he says, he says, calls Jeremiah to be a prophet. And Jeremiah says, but I'm a young man. And God's response is, but Jeremiah, I am with you. You know, he didn't say, but Jeremiah, I'm looking into your heart and I see a lot of stuff I like. You know, you have the inherent stuff. You know, you got what it takes. You don't know it yet, but you do. He didn't say that. He said, but Jeremiah, he didn't talk him out of that. He said, but I'm with you. And I'm on the other end of the spectrum where I said, but God, I'm an old man. But, uh, but you know, it's God, but I am with you. And that's my hope is, is you know, that God is with me in this and that, that he has called me and it is his power to make perfect my weakness. That's what I lift up to you and to God is, is my weakness. Well, there's much more to say uh, to you this morning, but I, I will... Uh, as I say, I'll begin preaching uh, next week. As to this dean's class, uh, I'll, I'll be spending uh, a lot of time with you. But, but before I was called, uh, John Harper had invited, what was his name, John? Dennis Sampson. Dennis who I understand, is very good. Uh, he will be here uh, speaking to us through October the 16th. And then on October the 23rd, I'll begin a series here in the dean's class. Uh, I will be, I'll begin preaching next week and, and be with you for quite a while there uh, in the pulpit. Uh, and then here at the Dean's class on the 23rd. But I look forward to doing theology with you here at this forum and discussing the uh, mind-boggling, uh, the, the most mind-boggling thing in the world, and that is that in the midst of uh, the human condition, uh, we find Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
uh, and, w- and what that means to us and the freedom that that can bring to us in our lives. So I look forward to that. I'm sorry, I think I've not left enough time for any discussion or classes. Five minutes for discussions or questions or anything. Somebody's got a question. Yeah. You've said many times that you've been called by God. Uh, and what is your calling here, do you think, beyond the theology you've just described? What is my specific calling here at the Dean, at, at, at the Advent? I think uh, to keep the gospel torch lit. You know, I, I don't know how else to say, but uh, my vision here is to claim Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Uh, I, I think that there it's obvious to me that a, a solid theological foundation has been laid here. Uh, one thing that I noticed that, that impressed me very much from day one were the questions that the search committee asked me. I was very impressed by that. Uh, they asked me what I would consider the right questions. Uh, questions uh, uh, that, that dealt with the heart of the matter and not peripheral things like what is your what, what do you think about Lavabo Bowl and, and and what is your churchmanship and uh, what 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 is your uh, understanding of Christ's presence in the Eucharist or, or whatever you know we don't know anyway Scripture didn't tell us anyway I don't know why we fight about these things but it went to the heart of the matter. Uh, and I was impressed by that. And, and, and my prayer is that I can keep the gospel torch lit here uh, and, and that we can continue to grow together in, in, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. uh, Dean, Dean Limehouse, you've covered a lot of ground, but uh, you haven't told us what your handicap is. <laughs> and I don't plan to either. I'd rather tell you. I'd rather tell you what my handicap was. <laughs> I haven't played much golf in quite a while. So when I go to when I go to Clemson, is a is a there's one of the things I do is uh, about five miles from from our cabin is a a place called Hackers Haven, and that's a driver's uh, driving range, and you can get a peach basket uh, full of balls for for eight dollars. And uh, most of my golf has been at Hacker's Haven, uh, beating, beating balls until my hands would bleed. Uh, and, you know, anytime I have some time off, then go back into ministry and don't worry about it until I get back to Hacker's Haven six months later or whatever. So that's about it. I just don't play that much anymore. But I still love the game. I still consider myself a student of the game. Uh, and it, it, but I haven't played much. Does that answer your question? I'm not avoiding the question. but <laughs> Maybe I am. Maybe I am avoiding it. <laughs> My other shoe is uh, uh, Jeff Miller and Mark uh, Avra and Robert Matthews, the clergy. They worked at St. Helens. Somehow or another had tipped in there and picked it up and took it. And, uh, and when I hung up uh, speaking, uh, uh, you know, I couldn't find my, uh, my shoe uh, and, and, and had to walk home. It's not that far. It's just a couple blocks. But walk over. And so finally they gave me my shoe. But I was so aggravated I couldn't find my shoe. But the idea that that's part of the reason why I remember exactly what I was doing when Fran Cade called that day. I had my, took my shoe off, put it up on the desk. That's six o'clock one evening. Thank you for asking that. Well, I, th- I really think we should go. To- <clears throat>
We'll see if you're applauding six months from now. <laughs> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen.